Every knife crime story is important. It's just that Rob's one had a, a light shone on it from the press because of because of Harry Potter, I suppose. The 18-year-old was stabbed in a fight which broke out in Sidcup in Kent. Robert's friends told us his brother was attacked by a man carrying two kitchen knives. Almost like possessed, really. Don't know if he's on something. A 21-year-old man was arrested on the scene and is still being held on suspicion of murder. Previously, he'd been arrested and, and at the time of the murder of Rob, he was on bail for a knife crime offence. Like an increasing number of victims of knife crime, that night was to be his last. When it came through on the news, it was so shocking. So he was a very easy and naturally talented guy to work with. Robert was so popular, and probably because of his popularity in Harry Potter, he's bringing a, a larger media attention to the problems of knife carrying in this country. My mum said that, say I'll catch something like, winter vomiting disease. <laughs> if that serves a purpose, then hopefully Robert would have done something else exceptional in his short life. And I saw the knife go into my hand and come out the other side. He's held the knife up to my neck, but he's after my mate, and uh, we can't find my mate anywhere. Amongst them, his younger brother, Jamie. Eyewitness reports suggest Robert died trying to protect him from the attacker. I think in my heart, I knew that he was probably dead then. I wonder if Rob hadn't been a successful actor, whether people would have heard your story. No, I think there might have been two lines in the local newspaper and that would have been it. And it's a shame that it's important to sort of platform this so much now. And it's more important than ever. I wish it all stopped tomorrow, but I'm afraid that's not going to happen. It's just getting worse. When's it all going to end? Everybody, welcome to a very special exclusive interview on the Half-Blood Princesses, a Harry Potter podcast. Yes, we are so excited to have Aaron Truss here, who is the director of Knox, the Rob Knox story. Before we get started, Aaron, would you mind telling our fans what your favorite Harry Potter movie is and what your Hogwarts house is? Hello, I'm Aaron Truss, and uh, my favorite Harry Potter movie has to be... Oh, it's, it's a tough one, but I think my favourite Harry Potter movie has to be Order of the Phoenix. And my house, I would say, I'm going to have to go dark side on this one, and I'm going to say Slytherin, and that's going to probably upset a lot of people out there, but uh, I think I'm just tempted by the dark side a bit too much, so um, yeah, it has to be Slytherin, I'm afraid, guys. That's understandable. Well, we know that you're an awesome Slytherin. There's some not-so-nice Slytherins in the books, but you are an awesome Slytherin. Robert Knox played Marcus Belby in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Let's learn about his character in the book. We first meet Marcus Belby in the chapter called The Slug Club in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Harry and Neville are invited to Slughorn's very first Slug Club luncheon on the Hogwarts Express, where they meet Marcus Belby, who's described as a thin, nervous-looking Ravenclaw. Let's take a look at a conversation between Marcus and Slughorn. I was just telling young Marcus here that I had the pleasure of teaching his uncle Damocles, Slughorn told Harry and Neville, now passing around a basket of rolls. Outstanding wizard, outstanding, and his order of Merlin most well-deserved. Do you see much of your uncle, Marcus? Unfortunately, Belby had just taken a large mouthful of pheasant. In his haste to answer Slughorn, he swallowed too fast, turned purple, and began to choke. 
In apneo, said Slughorn calmly, pointing his wand at Belby, whose airway seemed to clear at once. Not, not much of him, no, gasped Belby, his eyes streaming. Well, of course, I dare say he's busy, said Slughorn, looking questioningly at Belby. I doubt he invented the wolfsbane potion without considerable hard work. I suppose, said Belby, who seemed afraid to take another bite of pheasant until Slughorn had finished with him. Er, he and my dad don't get on very well, you see, so I don't really know much about... His voice tailed away as Slughorn gave him a cold smile and turned to McClagan instead. Now that we know a little bit about Marcus Belby, let's learn about Rob's story from Aaron Truss. So let's get into this interview. Aaron, our first question is, can you tell us a little bit about the documentary? Sure. Well, uh, Knox, the Rob Knox story, um, has been a long time in the making. Um, it was actually conceived by Rob's father, Colin Knox, in 2011. And it, it's gone through various different filmmakers, but um, they never really found that angle that re really got them um, going, essentially. And they couldn't really find the right vision for it. And I didn't come on board as the director and executive producer until two years ago. And it was merely... Um, I think because it was 10 years after Robert passed away and I was curious to see, you know, would they tell his story? Um, I believe I was interviewed for the documentary in 2013 as well. And I just didn't really see anything online about it. And I, I got a bit concerned and I thought, well, if no one's going to make this story about my friend, um, then I'll do it. I mean, I've, I've been, uh, working in the film industry for the past 10 years now as a post-production editor. I've done a lot of music videos. Um, I've done a lot of short uh, documentary form stuff for like uh, extra features on DVDs and Blu-rays. And I thought, well, you know, how hard can it be? I, you know, I can tackle it, see what footage they've got. And um, I decided that the documentary really needed to highlight not just the the night rob was tragically killed but also the harry potter aspect i mean it's it's a huge deal when you think about it because you know th there are so many harry potter fans all over the world um rob's story is almost kind of a sort of throwaway fact almost you know something that oh did you know about the the kid who played marcus belby um and not many people know the true story about it. And I felt, considering what's happening in the UK at the moment with knife crime, we have a lot, we have a lot of knife violence in the UK, and it, it's completely horrific. And I felt that Rob's story, uh, just as much as the Harry Potter stuff, should also highlight these issues. And, you know, 12 years on from his death, it seems really important to get these things right so the documentary will explore um rob's life um as an aspiring young actor um making his way from nothing to appearing on television in small roles in sitcoms and things like that to eventually going out of his way and going for the role of marcus belby um and yeah that was really important i felt that rather than doing something that was in the vein of making a murderer or a evil genius or all these Netflix documentaries, 
I felt it was really important to show his personality. Um, it was really important that people got to know Rob more than just uh, the Harry Potter actor who was murdered, because unfortunately that's what he was dubbed for many years um, after he passed away. And I felt, well, no, this this friend of mine had a name, um, and whether it's Marcus Belby or whether it's Rob Knox, um, his story deserves to be told, and in the most truthful sense possible. Well, I'm like speechless right now. That's so incredible that you guys took on this opportunity to make the documentary because I know that it is going to change a lot of lives once it's out. I hope so. It's just really great that Rob had people like you and his family and friends who cared and who are able to tell his story because it's an important story to tell. And I'm really interested in seeing the documentary when it's done. Thank you. Yes, I'm I'm looking forward to it too. We, we, it's... um. A lot of people say, you know, that Rob was lucky to to have us, and in 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 this is my genuine thoughts on it. But I really think I was lucky to have Rob. Um, Rob taught me a lot of things that have influenced my not only my my work ethic um, as a filmmaker or just overall friend to people. You know, um, he was no nonsense. He was outrageous, which is something that people don't really know about Rob. Rob was he wasn't an angel this this film isn't about someone who was the nicest person in the world and was unfortunately killed no Rob was incredibly cheeky and um he he had a lot of power in his in his personality and um you know I I know a lot of people who knew Rob um when I was making this documentary I was finding out things about Rob that I never knew before um but Rob was the Rob was incredibly cheeky. I'll give you an example of this. Um, when Rob and I were much younger, we used to go to a theatre school and train in acting together. Um, and we used to go to auditions together. So we'd, because we were young, we'd have to pair up or go with a chaperone or something. And one day we had an audition for a police drama called The Bill, which is which was quite big in the UK. And um, <clears throat> we stopped off in London uh, on our way uh, to a Burger King. <laughs> and um, there was a big queue at the train station for Burger King, and I was waiting for about 10 minutes probably, and the queue wasn't moving. Rob decided to march to the front of the counter and say, excuse me, I've been waiting ages for my bacon double cheeseburger. Where is it? And the guy at the counter said, oh, I'm sorry, mate, here you go. Rob took a free burger, walked past me, and winked on his way out. And I thought... <laughs> <laughs> that is ridiculous like he, he just had no shame he had no like he just went straight for it he didn't hesitate and he got himself a free lunch and i had to wait because i couldn't do the same trick twice so you know that's the kind of person he was that's fantastic <laughs> i heard a story which i don't know if it's true but to be honest it doesn't matter if it's true because it's just a lovely story but i remember hearing that one time Rob was, uh, uh, he was in his car and he was driving somewhere and they were at the traffic lights or something and uh, there was some kid on a motorbike next to him in the traffic lights and in the next lane and he was being loud or something like that. So Rob just reached out of the car and pitched him on the bum and then drove off. And again, that's another sort of example of what Rob was like. He, he'd always bring 
comedy to a situation. He diffuse any tense situations and thing like things like that. It's just, I suppose, it's a shame. Um, in regards to the night he died, it was you know he didn't hesitate, and that was his character. That was his personality. He just he saw what was going. He saw what was happening. He knew it was wrong. He was protecting his brother, and unfortunately, um, you know. Well, the rest is history, essentially. But that's the kind of person he was. He he had uh, big cojones. <laughs> Rob and I grew up from um, grew up in a place called Chislehurst, which is in Kent, which is probably not far from London, but it's just on the suburbs of Kent. And he used to live around the corner from me, and I'd see him as a kid. We'd play on the streets, that kind of thing. But I didn't really know him that well, and it wasn't until. Uh, we both went to a theatre school um, called DMB, and it was a you know theatre experience. So it was singing, dancing, um, and but especially acting. So Rob and I would be in a lot of the same classes together, and um, I think we became friends that way. We just both of us, you know, you'd get kids who were in this uh, acting class who would be very shy and very timid and didn't want to do improvisation. They didn't like being tapped on the shoulder and, and told, okay, now it's your turn to go up and act out a scene, just anything you want. And a lot of kids were very shy and didn't want to do this, but Rob and I kind of became the class clowns. So we would, you know, do like a double act or whatever. And, you know, the teachers began to see something with Rob, myself and a few others and thought, okay, these guys, we're going to elevate them up to another class or whatever and eventually we we joined this thing called the agency which <clears throat> basically means the best of the best kids who did acting would be then put in this book and sent out to casting agents around the UK and we'd get auditions for um a lot of TV soaps a lot of adverts I did myself did a few adverts on TV uh, years ago um uh Rob Rob and I pretty much went for the same auditions, but um, well, actually, one of my first auditions, and this is a little something that I've I don't really tell people. Um, I actually auditioned for Harry Potter uh, when it first came round, and yeah, this is this is a there there is more of a Harry Potter connection with us. I mean, I think just a lot of people assume that you know if we went to a theatre school in the UK, we all did Harry Potter, and it's true. We you know when that call went out that they were casting for, you know, the I think the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone um, had been out for a few years or something. And uh, my mum said, you need to read this book before you go to this audition. Uh, but I, I remember reading for the Sorcerer's Stone and the script was for Malfoy. And uh, I remember the lines being, like, what was it? It was, um, so Harry Potter's come to Hogwarts. So a lot of us as kids went to audition for Harry Potter and it didn't really become a big deal because there hadn't been the first movie yet. So, you know, there wasn't all this uh, sort of manic media frenzy that was around the Harry Potter movies at that time. But when they started coming out, um, that's when it became almost like a, oh, you've got to get me an audition for Harry Potter. You've got to get me in Harry Potter. And a lot of my friends did appear in Harry Potter. The executive producer... Uh, Joe Akers on this documentary uh, was an extra in Harry Potter and I think he was in the Chamber of Secrets I think 
So it's kind of weird when we all get together and go, oh, you did Harry Potter. I did Harry Potter as well. But um, in the end, um, skip forward to um, the Half-Blood Prince after Robert passed away. And they were in post-production on Half-Blood Prince. And the agency called a few of us up at the theatre school and said, um, uh, Warner Brothers need some voiceovers done, just background stuff, you know, little things like that. And we call this Foley in the industry. So it's just you go in there and if there is a scene where people are talking in the background, we have to go in and there's a mic set up and you just start talking and you're essentially the background uh, artist in the film. And there was a scene where in the Half-Blood Prince, Harry is climbing up on a roof and he's spying on... um, Draco Malfoy and a couple of the others uh, with Ron and Hermione either side and he ducks for cover then looks back up I don't know if you remember this scene at all in the Half-Blood Prince and um, he's sort of breathing heavily like I can officially say on record that was me I was Harry Potter's (laughs) breath so if anyone ever asks I technically I technically played Harry Potter for five seconds which um no one ever believes me and that why can't why can't he do his own breathing when it's like well my breathing's better apparently so (laughs) that's so great (laughs) that is so cool oh man it was so it was it 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 was i was cheeky with it as well because it's what rob would have done but when there were scenes in the great hall or corridor scenes and they said okay we just want a few people to walk past the mic and pretend just just talk amongst each other talk about spells talk about you know oh talk about professor snape and these kind of things and being the cheeky uh sod that i was i said okay i know what i'm gonna do so i convinced a couple of my friends who were there recording and we walked back and forth past the microphone and we just said the neighbor's lyrics from that TV show, Neighbours. Um, so it was a Neighbours. Everybody needs good neighbours with a little bit of understanding. And we sort of kept going back and forth. And I, to this day, I haven't checked the film, like with the volume up loud, to see if there's some stupid kid walking around reciting the Neighbours lyrics, which if, the, if there is, then fantastic. But um, uh, sorry, JK Rowling, I didn't mean to do that. I was terrible as a kid. So if you're, if you're listening, sorry. <laughs> it's exactly what Rob was like. Rob was cheeky, and I felt just because he'd he wasn't there anymore, I felt it was so important just to just to keep on that spirit. And um, Colin, Rob's father, will have conversations, um, and uh, every once in a while, an anecdote about Rob will come up, and we'll just laugh at each other, going, "I didn't know he did that," and that's really cheeky. But I think it's that tenacity. And that just that strong will, which has driven this documentary so much. I mean, everyone who's worked on this documentary has done it for free. No one has been paid. Uh, I'm not being paid um, any money that's raised, you know, just in, in terms of making the documentary or selling it or acquisitions or anything like that. It's all going to go towards the Rob Knox Foundation, uh, which was set up 10 years ago in Rob's name. And it's basically... Uh, they do prison visits, they do school visits, they educate kids on the dangers of carrying knives. And the other side of it uh, powers the Rob Knox Film Festival, which every year, um, except for this year because of COVID, but every year um, films from all over the world are sent in and 
the first week of June, without fail, there's a big festival in Rob's name where everyone gets to sit and watch films from all over the world. And it's all done in his name. And it's just so fantastic. You know, again, it's a testament to Rob's name and who he was. I've been going to it for so many years now, even to the point where this this year, 2020, I was meant to be a judge. And obviously, because of lockdown and um, the pandemic, we've had to cancel this year's festival. We just felt it wasn't the right time to do it. And there are a lot more important things that are going on. So we felt we'll carry it over into next year, hopefully. And I've been I've been a judge on it this year as well. So um, I've been able to sit down and actually watch all these films that are coming in. And they're not all about um, knife crime or anything like that. As There's been some fantastic stuff uh, that I've seen. Um, there was one about domestic abuse in lockdown, which was so hard to watch. There was... Uh, you get funny stuff about a, a, a guy who has an imaginary cactus friend, um, which which couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing at actually. But um, you just get such a we, we even got a film from China as well, and you just think, God, like all these films that are coming in, and they might not necessarily know who Rob was or why this festival is, but it's just fantastic nonetheless. Especially when you see these guys um, pick up their awards. And then we all have a drink afterwards. And it's just so lovely meeting all these people. And then they find out who Rob was. And it just becomes all the more special. Um, and I miss it. I wish we had it this year. But like I said, it, it couldn't happen. But definitely next year, I reckon the Rob Knox Film Festival will be back with a bang. So speaking of films and Robert Knox, we have a very special exclusive clip from the documentary with David Yates and Sally, Rob's mother, talking about Rob being casted for Half-Blood Prince. But I do remember Rob distinctly because he was um, quite a confident, charming, very likable guy who was clearly nervous but had huge belief in his own abilities. And you can imagine Harry Potter, there's so many callbacks, it's, it's quite a long process. And it was that wonderful combination of someone who was dipping their toes into something that was quite big and exciting for them, and that was giving him some butterflies. But I actually felt sick because I thought and I knew how disappointed he would be if he didn't get it. I actually was casting him for another role. Um, we were seeing him for a character called McLaggen, or at least we were looking for a lot of actors for this character called McLaggen, who was this sort of amazing athlete. And Rob read for a couple of different roles, including McLaggen. We sort of stepped away from the whole process, Fiona, my casting director, and I, and we kind of came to the conclusion that maybe Rob would be a really good Marcus Belby. Aaron, can you tell us any more about Robert's acting career and his role as Marcus Belby in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince? With um, the Harry Potter films being so successful, um, and it's obviously a lot of English kids, and... Um, <laughs> Um, Leavesden, where they filmed the movies or filmed the movies at Warner Brothers, uh, isn't that far away. So, you know, a lot of extras would go there and, you know, it was a pretty big deal. But honestly, when Rob got the part in The Half-Blood Prince, I had no idea he was auditioning for it, <laughs> which I was quite gutted about. I, I didn't know that he'd... I think, I think when you go for an audition for something that big, you tend not to like lose your marbles you tend not to tell everyone oh i'm going for this because as soon as you don't get it there's that huge disappointment that you know oh i didn't get it and then you have to watch someone else on the big screen 
uh, in the role that you know you wanted. Um, but for Rob, he kept it pretty much close to his chest until I don't know. I can't remember how I found out, but Rob and I were while he was on Harry Potter. I was studying film at university, and I was putting together a short horror film, a short comedy horror film called Employee of the Dead. And I really wanted Rob to be in it. And I was aware he was doing Harry Potter. And I said, look, we need to film this thing in uh, uh, a supermarket on a night shift. So we'd have the whole place to ourselves to do this thing. And he said, yes, he, he was straight on board. He, you know, he read the script that we put together. And bearing in mind, he was doing long hours at, at Warner Brothers doing Harry Potter. So, um Again, that kind of tells you what kind of guy he was. He wasn't so, oh, no, I'm doing Harry Potter or anything like that. No, he, he wanted to have fun. He kept wanting to make movies. And um, um, so we never really spoke about it, not even when we did this short horror film. I kind of, you know, I wanted him to finish the experience and then we'd have a drink about it afterwards, which unfortunately never happened because um, uh, Rob would pass away not long after that. But... Um, Rob's experiences from what I learned on making this documentary were so fascinating. Uh, fact number one, when Rob went to audition for Marcus Belby, he never went to audition for Marcus Belby. I never knew that. He actually went to audition for the part of McLagan, uh, which you heard in that clip. And um, I think he also read for a number of roles. but uh, And I've seen his audition tape as well, which is quite rare we really wanted to use rob's audition tape um which was filmed by fiona weir the casting director of uh the potter movies but we really wanted to use that clip in the film but unfortunately we weren't able to get uh the rights to use it so um it's a shame that i've been able to see it and i can't show anyone else which is terrible but um his his audition is actually him reading for mcclagan i'm thinking that's not marcus belby and i had to asked David Yates, you know, what is this audition for? Because it's quite, doesn't sound like Marcus Belby. And then, it, yeah, we found out, okay, so he's reading McLagan. And you can see from the audition that he's really good. But obviously McLagan is kind of a well-built athlete. He's, and Rob, Rob wasn't very well-built. Rob was quite big, but Rob was incredibly tall as well. So... I think what happened was David Yates really liked Rob as as a person and also his acting, that they wrote him in for Marcus Belby. I don't know officially if they had any plans for Marcus Belby to be a big sort of fixture in that slughorn scene, but it happened. And that's, you know, again, super lucky, but also there's that just tenacity of Rob that just says... He was that good that the part he went for wasn't right for him, but they had to get him in the film somehow. So, um, but I do know that it probably would have taken him months of auditions. The first audition would have been uh, with a couple of people with a video camera in a room in London somewhere. And then he would have got a call back and said, okay, now we're going to audition you with some more stuff. And he probably would have had about four callbacks until he probably would have read for the main audition and then eventually he got the part which you know that's fantastic that's you know no matter what happens um you know after that he's always going to be cemented on the big screen or in you know harry potter fans 
parts really because everyone has a Harry Potter binge every once in a while. They all watch the movies and when they do, they will always pass Marcus Belby on that journey, which I think is quite beautiful really because, you know, after we're all dead and gone, sorry to sound morbid, he will still remain for future generations of Harry Potter fans. Even if they don't know his story or know him, he'll always be there. And I think that's just fantastic. Yeah, that really is such a beautiful thing. It really is. I mean, think about how many times, to me, we watch Harry Potter. Every single day, basically. <laughs> just the other day, I was like, I'm going to watch a Harry Potter movie, and I picked Half-Blood Prince to watch, which was kind of ironic. So I just watched that a couple of days ago. It It is a good film, and, you know, you, you can't help but um, just go, oh, look, there's Rob. I mean, after Rob had passed away... Um, the people at Warner Brothers, David Heyman and David Yates, they invited Rob's family and friends, close friends, down to Warner Brothers in London. And we all got to see the Half-Blood Prince, I think the day before the London premiere. So we all got to see the film. And it was just a really sweet moment where, you know, I I think I'd seen, I mean, going to see Harry Potter at the cinema was a big thing anyway uh, for us as kids you know it was like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings you you know it was just the event that you had to you knew what you were getting from it it was going to be big and exciting and um, I think the last film I'd seen was probably a couple before that I think I forget the name sorry on the tip of my tongue but um, I hadn't seen a Harry Potter movie in a while just because I was so busy myself doing, you know, acting and uh, going to university and things like that. So when I did see Harry Potter on the big screen, I did notice how darker it had got. But then as soon as you saw Rob on the big screen in in the train on the way to Hogwarts, eating the chocolate frog, um, it kind of becomes a Where's Waldo, except it's a Where's Rob. Um, watching Half Blood Prince, you go, Oh, there's Rob, and there's a there's a bit where he's in the. Um, it's quite funny because a lot of the scenes that he's in, he's eating. He just doesn't stop. He basically eats his way through the Half-Blood Prince. And I love that about Rob because he did love food and um, <laughs> he just wouldn't stop eating. Like if he really Rob, um, he, he he was just fantastic to be around. And when you watch the outtakes, you know he's trying hard. And um, he, did eat, he did eat a lot of pudding as well um, in this scene. I think he's... Um, so the only only portion worth having is a stiff one at the end of the day. And when he's eating, that's for real. And they shot that over two days. So he was essentially stuffing himself full of profiteroles and whipped cream and whatnot. And as uh, they say in the documentary, Jim Broadbent, who played Horace Slughorn, he said, when, you, when you're acting and you're on camera, you don't necessarily have to keep eating the same thing because otherwise you're going to have to keep eating and keep eating the same thing. Um, normally you'd sort of spit it out into a bucket or something or you just pretend you're chewing, that kind of thing. And I imagine that happens in a lot of films and TV shows, but Rob didn't get that. Rob just kept eating completely and it's just ridiculous how they had to keep on... If they started filming and then he'd eaten so much, as soon as they'd had to reset the camera, they'd have to reset his bowl as well because there was just he'd eaten so much that I think by the end of it he almost exploded... Um, um, but David Yates was joking around saying, well, I hope he wasn't diabetic. I'm pretty sure he wasn't, but maybe by the end of it, he probably had something. I don't know. All that sugar. <laughs> Imagine eating in the Great Hall. I'd do that. I'd just sit there. I mean, it's Hogwarts. There's amazing food there, you know? I mean, who wouldn't want to eat in the Great Hall? 
That's it. I, I do have a little anecdote about the Great Hall, which I don't know if it's true or not, but again, th this is what it's like with hearing stories about Rob Knox, is, you know, you don't care if it's true or not, the fact that there is a rumour or something out there, but according to Rob's father, um, Rob was the only and first person to start a food fight in the Great Hall. I think he got bored or something, or he was mucking around with some of the the cast, Freddie Storm or, or somebody, and he just started a food fight. And he, he got shouted at for it, I think. But um, again, that's just the kind of person he was. He didn't want to sit still for too long doing nothing. He wanted to, you know, break the tension or, you know, all these actors and extras, etc., and even the crew have been filming for long hours on on Harry Potter. Um, it must be hard, especially if, if there's a... A, a scene between Ron and Harry that's you know probably goes on for about a minute or two. Meanwhile, you have all the background extras who are talking amongst themselves, and they probably have to do that for two days, just sitting there being an extra or being in the background. Which, and thinking about it now, Rob starting a food fight makes a lot of sense because Rob didn't want to just sit down and do nothing, and you know he. He was Marcus Belby, but he he probably would have wanted to have fun with it as well. I would have I would have done anything to be on the set of Harry Potter, to be honest, because it seemed like a lot of people that I know that were in Harry Potter have their own Harry Potter story, which they'll take with them forever, which uh, is fantastic. But saying that, um, working on this documentary and finding out a lot about Rob's life on Harry Potter has been reward enough for me. I mean, I get to speak to Jim Broadbent, I get to speak to David Yates, I get to speak to Tom Felton, and um, and just hearing first-hand experiences from these people who worked with him is amazing because it just adds to the story. It adds to the mystery of who this kid was, you know, my friend. It's It's absolutely amazing. And, you know, the support we've had from Warner Brothers about trying to make this film... Um, what we can show, what we can't show. And they've been absolutely amazing behind the scenes. Um, a lot of what we wanted to use in the film wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for David Yates or David Heyman just saying, don't worry, we'll sort that for you. Because they know how important Rob's story is. And I believe uh, when Rob passed away, a lot of the cast and members of the crew did actually go to Rob's funeral. I don't remember meeting them, but... Um, I know David Heyman was there and David Yates went to the funeral. I know Rupert Grint was there. Um, so there is that kind of family bond, I suppose, that you make when you're making one of these Harry Potter movies is that, you know, you're not just co-stars or you're not just, you know, colleagues. You actually become a family and you can see that on the screen. And I suppose it's the same for all the other characters as well, not just the main cast, but everyone. That's beautiful. I mean, Hogwarts was a home to many in the series, and it is in the movies, and it is in real life. I mean, that's probably why all of us want to go there so badly, because it's just a haven of magic and mystery and fun. So it's a beautiful thing that you were able to learn about Rob's story at Hogwarts. It, it was fantastic. I mean, one of the things I will just add briefly is that, um, not to spoil the documentary too much, but we do visit the... Warner Brothers Studios, uh, the tour in London and um, at Ollivander's, which I wasn't aware of until we were almost finished filming the documentary. My cousin Alex uh, texted me one day saying, oh, I'm at the Harry Potter studio tour. And I was like, oh, fantastic. Great. 
And then he sent me a picture, which I was quite like, what is that? And it, in the in Ollivander's, all the wand boxes in the shop have all the names of the cast and crew that worked on all the Harry Potter movies. It's loads of boxes and they're really beautifully arranged. And he sent me one and on one of these wand boxes, it just said Robert Knox. And I was almost knocked sideways. I got really emotional and just thought, wow, like he's there forever in, you know, some tour where kids from all over the world, adults from all over the world or whatever, going to be going into this one shop and his name's always going to be there and probably has been for quite some time I just never knew about it so we deliberately changed some of the documentary that we could you know we called them up and we said look we heard Rob's name is on one of the wand boxes in Ollivander's we'd like to go down there and we'd like to shoot it and we'd like to shoot it with Rob's brother Jamie being there because we think it's quite quite poignant that Jamie would go there and look at this box, you know, just all the names, and he he finds just the one, Rob Knox, and and the studio got got back to us and said, "Yep, you can do that. You can come in before <laughs> you can come in before the tour opens." So we had the whole place to ourselves, like a giant model of Hogwarts, um, and then Ollivanders, and there was no one there. They put the shutters down just so we could go in with a cameraman. Jamie, some lights, and we shot this really beautiful moment in the documentary where Jamie just wanders into Ollivander's, sees the one box, and then cut, that's it. And again, you know, I'm always finding out these little bits and bits of information about Rob and Harry Potter and the connection, and it's all beautiful. I literally got chills when you were telling that story. It's such a beautiful thing to have all those one boxes. And then to know that Rob's name is on one of them, like that's something that will last forever. And there's so much magic and beauty in that. I really like how Rob's wand box is in Ollivander's. He basically has an immortalized legacy in Harry Potter and everybody will go see him, including me. And I'll know his story by then, which will be really, really cool. Um, I'm very close friends with Jamie, Rob's brother as well. We have been for years. So I knew it was an important moment um, especially to capture on camera um, him seeing the one box. Um, I can't remember if he'd seen it before, but it, it was an important moment for us where we just thought, okay, um, I didn't direct him really. It was more of a, if you could walk here, then look up and then just, I want to get on camera what you're feeling and you know, what it makes, what, how it makes you feel essentially looking at that one box, because there are like hundreds of those one boxes everywhere and you know it's you know it took us a while to find it but as soon as we did it kind of hits you in the stomach and you're like there he is there he is in Ollivander's and um it was very special and a huge thank you to the Warner Brothers Studios for letting us in and for doing that because I can't I mean I know how busy they are and I know you know uh they have a lot of visitors so the fact that they closed it for us just to go in there and shoot that sequence uh, it's just mind-boggling, and um, I owe them everything for that. Yeah, and that just shows, too, that Warner Brothers is so supportive and so caring about Rob and his story. Because if they weren't, then they wouldn't have done that. But them shutting it down and being like, all right, guys, come in and film this special scene for the documentary, that just shows that they are truly dedicated and care as much as you guys do. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're all very passionate on this project. and. Um, you know, we all have day jobs. Um, 
but a lot of us who have day jobs actually work in the industry in you know editing or sound design or camera work um uh, um uh, but some of us also knew rob as well but it just so happens that we splintered off into different areas of the film industry and for example our cameraman um uh and our dit grader so basically he colorizes the footage before we put it out there uh he uh went off to go work on avengers age of ultron which was incredible um and he also got he went to work on peaky blinders and black mirror so and you know he knew rob very briefly when we worked together at university and the fact that he took time out joined us and it's the same with our sound recordist and um uh the person who designed our poster for example lee uh lee ling lian ling sorry um big harry potter fan um and she came on board for nothing she does graphic design she created this incredible looking gray poster and um that's what we've been using that's what's been seen on MuggleNet and uh press releases that we've done so and no one has taken a penny. It's purely been for the passion. And last Christmas, we had to turn in an, an, an approval of the documentary for David Yates. And this was just before Christmas last year. And um, I remember we were frantically working around the clock, trying to get this done, trying to get it on time, because we knew David Yates had a window because he was starting pre-production on... Uh, well, you know what he was starting pre-production on, and we know what's happening with that at the moment. But... um um but yeah and we we knew that we only had certain people for a, a limited amount of time but luckily i'm a bit of a pain in the ass when it comes to uh getting people to do stuff even if it's for free because the passion just drives me so if i have to email david Heyman 10 times a day or his his um his pa 10 times a day saying i need you to check this out i need you to have a look at this i need some approvals here i need then i'll do it because what have I got to lose at the end of the day? You know, it's, I think that's kind of the lesson that I learned in all this is that you, you just have to keep on banging on those doors in order to get things done. And if you have the passion, it will drive you. Um, and especially with Rob's story, that's been the one thing that's driven me the last two years. You know, I, you know, I lose sleep over it, but, um, I'm very proud of what we've achieved so far. So the sleepless nights and the, the bill for all the coffees was definitely worth it. It sounds like it was. You know, you do anything for a friend, and that just shows in the way you're speaking and the passion that you have, and it's beautiful. And and I still would do anything. I mean, not just for Rob, but for Rob's family, who, to be fair, have lived a nightmare on a daily basis since um, since 2008. And it, it's not just me. They're, they're, the foundation themselves have worked so hard tires tirelessly to keep talking about rob you know the people will wonder why are you still talking about it when rob died 12 years ago and it's because that's the reason we're still talking about it because you're saying why because it's so important and you know it's not just rob in the uk alone in the past 12 years close to 3000 people 3000 not just kids people in general have lost their lives to uh, a stabbing or to to knife crime and that's kind of answering the question of why are we still talking about it i mean if rob wasn't in harry potter i wouldn't be talking to you essentially the reason why we're able to talk about this now the reason why there's a documentary 
is because of Rob's connection to Harry Potter and Marcus Belby. And that's been a huge platform, not for myself or the documentary, to tell the story, but it's 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 been something that the family have used to turn a negative into an extreme positive. Unfortunately, with something like this, you don't really have the luxury of saying, well, I saved three lives today. You You just will never know the impact and the effect that you've had on other people by telling Rob's story. But it doesn't matter. As long as you've saved someone, and you'll never read in the news, you know, so-and-so didn't get stabbed today. You'll only hear the bad stuff in the news. And that's another thing that drives us. When we were making this documentary, a lot of people were killed, and a lot of people were reported on being killed. Um, and it was just so harrowing. It was just... Like it just makes you think, God, why, why are we still doing this twelve, twelve years later? Why are we still fighting? And unfortunately, I just think it's because there isn't a platform out there for stories about knife crime in the UK and probably around the world in terms of knife and gun violence. Where you know, I, I'm just, there are documentaries out there, but there hasn't been a documentary like this one, and it's not focusing on the killer. That that was a definite no from the family. We weren't going to focus on who did the crime, but we were going to focus on the victim itself. And it's the perspective is from the victim, and we think that's a very important uh, aspect to the documentary. And what makes it so original, really, and probably it's double-edged sword, really, because at the same time, you know, people want to be sort of enticed into a documentary that sort of focuses on the motives of a killer and things like that. But that's not what, that's not the story we're telling. We're telling a very powerful story about someone who had a big break in Harry Potter and whose life was about to be changed forever. You know, he would have gone on to be in um, the Deathly Hallows part two, most likely. You probably would have seen Marcus Belby at the Battle of Hogwarts. I mean, in my mind and in my heart, when I watch the Deathly Hallows part two, a part of me likes to think Marcus Belby was there. We just don't see it. And that's kind of a, a personal way that I look at it and think, you know what? Rob might have unfortunately passed away way too early. But in my in my heart, I know that he's still at Hogwarts or was still at Hogwarts. He probably graduated and he's probably sitting somewhere in the, the land of magic, eating a pudding somewhere. And uh, <laughs> just... He's probably still eating, if I'm completely honest. That's how I choose to remember not just Rob, but essentially Marcus Belby as well. That's so powerful. And going back to what you were saying a little bit earlier, how this documentary is so important because he was your friend. He has a name. And the fact that you're making this documentary about his story and his personality and about the amazing person that he was is really showing and I think that's important. I think that's what's going to really leave an impact because anybody can read news stories about knife violence, but actually watching a documentary about somebody who really touched the world is going to make a change. Definitely. I think, yeah, I mean, and when you do see the film, and you will see the film, I'm not going to stop until we've had a UK release and then eventually an international release. Um you know, I'd love for it to be on Hulu in the States. I really would. I'd love to. But Rob did touch a lot of us in ways that we still feel the effect of now. And um, especially, you know, in my day-to-day -day life and, you know, obviously living with Rob for two years, it feels, honestly, it, it feels like he hasn't left. I'm not particularly a spiritual person, um, but 
uh, I've got a picture in my office where I, where I work on the documentary of, of Rob um, that I always keep close. And I, I always make a point of the fact that when I'm editing, I'm always hearing Rob's voice because Rob is featured in this documentary a lot, not just through Harry Potter, but we, you know, through home videos that were shot on his parents' video camera, through a lot of the projects that we did together. And, you know, this film is, a, a, a Rob is a pretty much almost like Jim Broadbent or Ray Winston or Tom Felton. He is a bigger part of this documentary visually um, than people will probably think because there's just a wealth of material that we have. And Rob loved acting and we got it all on camera. And even the stuff that he did on TV, we've got that as well. We did a lot of research and it's just so important. And one of the things that really touched my heart um, over this year, particularly being in lockdown and having to work on this documentary from home um, and not being able to really go out and do anything more on it um, is the response from the Harry Potter community. Um, I never realized what a loving community it is and how forgiving and how passionate they are. And that really touched me on, on the anniversary of Rob's death this year, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook lit up with, uh, memes and um, little animations of people raising their wands uh, just like at the end of Half-Blood Prince and it really got to me and I just thought that's, if there was ever a powerful gesture to come from the Harry Potter community raising their wands like that and I just you know, I'm I, I'm not really an emotional person to be honest with you but when when something like that happens it's just such a beautiful thing and you think you know, someone in France, someone in Spain, someone in Germany, someone in America, people in the UK are raising their wands in this community. And you just think, am I in over my head? Uh, is this bigger than I thought it would be? Have I found an audience for this documentary? And all these questions start spiraling. But at the end of the day, it's just, it, it's kind of the reason why we're doing this. It might not, you might not necessarily carry a wand, for example, but you do carry some sort of sentiment that makes you either think I need to work on this film or I need to watch this film and finding an audience for this film is the trickiest thing because Harry Potter is, is, is fantasy. It is, um, a love of escapism. Um, you know, you were saying that you wanted to go to Hogwarts. Everyone wants to go to Hogwarts. It's that world that you want to just lose yourself in and forget about all the horrible crap that's going on in the world right now. Um, and there is a lot of crap going on in the world right now. Who wouldn't want to just lose that run through platform nine and three quarters and just go, you know what? I'm done with it. I just want to go, you know, somewhere magical and just take my mind away from the world right now. And, and at the same time, while we're doing that, we're also making a documentary on something that's very real and very dangerous and very dark. So you have to find that, that, perfect combination of oil and water harry potter escapism and true crime and believe me it was so hard trying to make that combination happen but i think the key was rob and rob's personality and i think that's the only way we were able to bridge those two uh things together was just telling the story how it is don't you know over exaggerate things just tell it how it is and people will be honest with you and i think that's kind of the reaction we've got so far from private viewings with people is that it's a very powerful film um 
and it really does touch the heartstrings because we leave nothing out. You know, we we follow Rob on his journey to become Marcus Belby. We follow his acting career. We're there with him the night he dies, as told by his brother, and it is told in um, very vivid detail. And it was the first time I'd ever I'd ever heard that story as well. Um, I don't think anyone had really known what had really happened that night until Jamie sat down in front of the camera with us and just told us exactly what happened. And we follow him to the hospital, and we're there when we're told that there was nothing they could do to save him. And it's just it kind of brings to light actually this is super important because this isn't just rob this is the 3000 other kids in the uk who've whose families have gone through this but their kid wasn't in harry potter they don't have a megaphone they don't have a platform to tell their son or daughters or brothers or sisters story but rob's story i'm hoping will be something that touches a lot of people and makes them think actually, you know what, I just want to check on my brother. I just want to check on my son or daughter. I want to make sure they're okay. I want to make sure that, you know, they haven't fallen through the cracks and they haven't, that nothing bad has happened to them. I think it's basically just, if this film was to do anything um, powerful in any way, I would say it's just look after people. Look after your loved one. Even if you don't know them, Just it just takes 10 seconds just to sort of just say to someone, is everything all right? You know, whether you carry a knife, whether you hang out with, you know, people of the wrong crowd, you know, life has a funny way of just saying, you know, here's a hand. It's not all doom and gloom. Watch a Harry Potter movie, something like that, you know, just something that always brings people together, I think, is definitely Harry Potter. And um, I think the community, again, I am, I'm super thankful for. And um, yeah, especially you guys as well keeping this alive and helping to tell this story. We're honored to tell this story. I mean, it's a, it's an important topic. You know, it's a young man who passed away. It could have been any of us, you know, any of us who were even in the UK at that time. And the community is so supportive that, yes, Harry Potter is escapism, but no matter what, they want to learn everything about Harry Potter. So if that drives them to watch this documentary, even though they don't know what it is, then that's great because... Everybody needs to hear this story. And now that you have a platform and you're able to do that, I'm sure it will touch a lot of people. I hope so. I hope so. And, you know, it, it's not just for the Harry Potter fans as well, of, of course, but it's we, we didn't design this film essentially to show people who carry knives. It wasn't I wasn't trying to get through to them. I was mainly trying to get through to. So I'm I'm 31 now and a lot of my friends are starting to have kids a lot of my friends are starting to get married, um, uh, um, and it, we're suddenly becoming the adults, which is so. I mean, I'm 31, but I don't feel like an adult. I still feel like I'm 18, and um, you realise that life is starting to shift and turn in different ways. That you go from watching the, the Harry Potter movies to watching them with your kids, and you are you are passing that on, but in turn. You know, you're you're also growing up, but you want to be aware that you know as soon as you leave the front door, you're not always going to be there for them, and it's dangerous. It's you know, it's but also at the same time, I think if people were to just talk about this more, this issue more, it's not just the UK. Let's be honest. I mean, everywhere has you know different issues with violence and things like that, and I think if people were to just love each other more, I know it sounds really 
silly to say that, but I, I don't feel silly saying it myself. I think if people were to love each other a lot more and to embrace each other, you know, no matter what their color or creed or or anything like that, um, then I think the world would be a better place for it. I, I mean, we wouldn't have to make documentaries about this, and our fight wouldn't be in vain. But while there's still violence, while there's still ignorance, while there's still people who are who are, who are fanning the flames rather than helping to put out the fire, um, then they're always going to need us, and they're always going to need, you know, a community like the Harry Potter community. They're always going to need a bigger family than what they already have, bigger than blood, essentially. You talked previously about how you were working with David Yates on the documentary. What was it like working with him? So working with uh, David Yates was super nerve-wracking for me. Um, I'd seen a lot of David Yates' films before, not just Harry Potter. And when I approached... When we were setting out the story... The Harry Potter side of it was extremely important to me, and you know we did approach Daniel Radcliffe, we did approach a lot of the key members um, of the films to see if they could offer any anything working with Rob. Um, unfortunately for Daniel, he didn't really know Rob that well, and it was kind of a mutual agreement sort of between us that was like, well, he didn't want to say anything that would, you know, you know if he didn't know Rob that well, then it wouldn't be fair that he'd be telling a story about working with Rob, etc. But he is featured in the film in a in a in an interview that was conducted by ITV many years ago, um, where he was obviously put on the spot and felt really uncomfortable talking about it because, you know, considering he's the figurehead of this franchise in in so many ways, that he would have been asked the question. And I wasn't really prepared to, you know, just for the sake of putting Daniel Radcliffe in the documentary, you know, to do that i didn't want to sacrifice any sort of you know um and the same goes for rupert grint and emma watson um rupert grint you know uh came to the funeral but at the same time everyone's got busy lives and um you know you you get what you can take and i'll, I'll work with anyone as long as it it really does support the story and support what we're trying to say this isn't you know um a celebrity fest or anything like that. I'm not going to get people like Rupert Grint or Emma Watson if I don't think it serves the story. If I don't think that they spent enough time with him, then there's no point really. But saying that, I was lucky enough to get a response from uh, David Heyman's office, uh, sorry, David Yates's office, uh, saying that he'd love to talk to you. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. He still remembers Rob. And he wants to talk about it. And we set a date in stone last year. And we went to Leavesden, which was really exciting because as soon as you turn up in the car, you'd see the Harry Potter studio tour. And then you see this big Warner Brothers logo and you get handed a pass and you think, oh, I'm special kind of thing. And um, we parked up and we were told to wait in his office uh, because he was doing a read through on a certain film that you know he's working on right now. And um, and when he arrived, I because I was nervous, I jokingly said to him, oh, I'm sorry, David, but I've had a couple of beers and I've kind of trashed the office. We had a bit of a party. I hope you don't mind. And his response, and this is, again, down to Rob, I, you know, being cheeky, but his response was, what, you had beer and you didn't call me? And then we just both laughed and went upstairs to the office. And he was actually more shocked that we weren't offered a cup of tea 
I suppose that's how British we are about our, our tea and coffee and stuff. But he was more shocked that we didn't have a tea. And I remember some poor guy next door while we were setting up was making like six cups of tea or something while we were setting up. And um, But he was super lovely. And he knew how passionate I was about this project. And he was so supportive. And I sent my questions in advance so I knew what we would be talking about. Um, we made each other laugh as well because it turns out I'd edited an interview with David Yates for Fantastic Beasts 1 for IMAX because it's part of my job um, excuse me for the company that I work for to work on a lot of interview junket stuff and I did something with David Yates and I told him this and he went oh that was you jokingly and I thought well, that's very kind of you to say but um but we went through all the questions. He had a lot to say about Rob. It's all in the documentary. Um, and he's just so he's just so kind. He's everything that you think he's going to be. He's he's very generous. He takes his time. And if he's going to do something for you, he'll invest himself in your project or, or whatever that you're doing to make sure it's the best it can be. And he even said a few words for the Rob Knox Film Festival. Even though he wasn't able to attend, he did a piece to camera saying, I'm sorry I couldn't be with, be there with you. Um, I hope you have a great night, etc. And when we played that at the film festival on the cinema screen, it was you know breathtaking. The guy who directed you know all these Harry Potter movies and Fantastic Beasts was wishing these young filmmakers at the Rob Knox Film Festival the very best. And it only took a day where I, you know, we didn't spend too long together. But at the end of it, I did jokingly say, you know, I think we should bring, you know, a member of the Belby family back for Fantastic Beasts and just have him somewhere just so we've got a bit of a family history going on. And he jokingly said no. And then he said no, for real. <laughs> but, um, I, I, you know, I thought if I didn't ask that, then, you know, hey, it could have ended up with, oh, there's a Belby in fantastic beast three and you know maybe there will be i don't know but um it was kind of like a little joke to leave it on and and ever since then um i've been working with his production assistant hannah goodyear who has just been absolutely incredible david always had time for us um he's very busy at the moment now but he did support us so much in the making of this even in terms of getting this to david Heyman to look at which for me is a, a huge deal as well because i've seen a lot of Heyman's films not just Harry Potter but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Gravity all, all these big films and to have someone like him watch my film that we put together that was incredible and he had nothing but nice things to say about it offered some edit suggestions and you know this is coming from David Heyman so that was you know incredible and then again I felt that we had some behind the scenes people but it was important to get some of the people Rob worked with in the documentary. So uh, David Yates was the one who actually got us Jim Broadbent, um, which was fantastic meeting Jim Broadbent, who he's kind of like an English treasure. He's done so much on TV and in films. Um, so it was an absolute honor to meet Jim Broadbent, Horace Logon. And um, he had some, he had so many funny stories about Rob and working with him that it was just absolutely incredible. And then, just to put the cherry on top of the cake. So at the 13th hour, we got Tom Felton, which was a huge deal because we had to get pre-approval from people who appeared in behind-the-scenes footage from the Half-Blood Prince, uh, which included you know a lot of like Freddie Stormer and um, 
um, Emma Watson and things like that. So we had a lot of emails sort of back and forth, just making sure everything was fine. And then when Tom Felton got back to us, it was kind of like an open-ended email, like, you know, is there anything I can do? And I thought, ooh, Tom Felton's asking me if there's anything he can do. And I jumped at the chance and said, "Did you know, I just, I inquired, did you know Rob well and these kind of things? And it eventually snowballed into Tom Felton's going to be in the documentary. And that was a very last minute thing. So we were all very excited about that. And we thought it's definitely going to help tell the story better. Um, it's definitely going to help pad things out and just give us a better sense of what it's like to be a child actor, what it's like to audition for Harry Potter, what it's like to be in Harry Potter. Um, so having those um, three people just a part of it and helping to tell the story just made the film even better. There is a clear difference when Tom Felton came on board because we watch it now and we just think, this is incredible. We're getting so much in-depth knowledge about not only Harry Potter, but Rob in general. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a very big deal for us working with them. I think it's so incredible you got Tom and I actually met him a couple years ago and just from meeting him he's such a kind person he has the biggest heart so it really does not surprise me that he was like on board with this because he's so passionate about what he does and he's so kind he is super nice and um and the, the weird thing is I never got to meet Tom but I got to speak to him through his agent and um and arrange it because we weren't because uh, of the lockdown and because of COVID, we weren't actually able to get a crew out to him. I think he was uh, he wasn't in the UK at the time, and I was told, and this is the truth, I was told um, Tom can do something on his phone. If you get him the questions, he'll do something on his phone. And I thought, fine, perfect, whatever. I I, I will send questions out, and we'll, we'll make it work in post production. We'll make it work, whatever it is. I'm sure it's going to be powerful and useful and then uh a few months later whilst chasing it up i get an email uh of this hd footage that he had shot and he'd clearly done it and this is the kind of person tom felton is that i'm you know as an impression but tom felton had obviously hired a film crew a backdrop a lighting sound guy he basically set up this shot to make it look like it would be seamless if it appeared in our documentary as if we shot it and it was the stuff he gave us was absolutely amazing it was not mobile phone footage it was something that he wore a suit he was well presented and he clearly cared about the subject matter and also you know a lot of fondness and memories of rob as well so that blew my socks off i thought you know it's not one of those you know he didn't put it out on twitter he didn't you know, post it all over social media. He knew what he was getting involved in and he knew it was serious and there was a history there. We were talking about family before with the Harry Potter community and the cast and crew and um, his interview was so good. He actually features quite prominently in the film. He had a lot to say and it was very powerful and I'm super excited to show people, you know, Rob's story just with Tom Felton helping to tell it. That's incredible. It's a huge deal that one of the main characters of the films knew Rob and was able to tell the story because I'm sure that one that draws fans to the film but also it's just important that he was so impactful um to the Harry Potter community and to the cast itself yeah it's true and 
you know, as Tom says in the film, you know, there's a lot of waiting around on the films that, you know, they'd play games on the set, you know, in the trailer park and things like that waiting to go on. And Tom gave us some examples of, you know, what Rob and he would get up to. And it turns out that Tom and Rob were kind of, if there was a, uh, <laughs> if there was ever a, a, a sinking of wavelengths in terms of cheekiness, you can bet that Tom Felton and Rob would have got on like a house on fire. And I believe that completely. They were, you know, stick as thieves and they were kids just having a laugh. And to hear it come from Tom makes a hell of a difference. I mean, I could get on a camera and tell you all about Rob, but let's be honest, we'd much rather hear it from Tom. And that's what makes this documentary more powerful is that we're getting these views across from people, not just friends and family, but we're also seeing that that sort of glamorous side of it that Rob was briefly touching for, I don't know, in the case of a few months. And we get to sort of share that with Rob, which is incredible as a feeling. But for for a brief moment, we get to be there with Rob in Harry Potter for a bit. That is the coolest thing. It really is. So this has been incredible. And our last question for you is kind of like overall, what would you like to tell the world? regarding Rob's legacy and the prevention of knife violence? Well, in terms of Rob's legacy, um, in, in a way, you only have to tell one story. And by doing so, you're actually telling 20, 30, 40, even probably hundreds of the same story. You know, um, there is a lot of bad out there in terms of knife crime. And in the UK especially, I feel like a lot, is not being done to combat this. I think, you know, more funds need to go towards our emergency services here. I mean, we're already struggling with lockdown and COVID and the NHS, but also uh, fire services and the police in general, there needs to be more funding. I mean, as Ray Winston put it in our documentary, these are the things that we need to survive in our country anyway. And we're cutting funds. And that just seems like, it just seems stupid. And I know that the system works differently all around the world. But if this was to make any difference at all, then we shouldn't be taking away the things that help us survive. Um, but it just It's just mind boggling to think that 12 years on and, uh, you know, I was 18 when Rob died. Rob was 18 when Rob died as well. And now I'm 31. And I keep thinking to myself, you know, People say to me, especially in the Harry Potter community, you know, I'll oh, just think what Rob could have got on to do. He could have been in Deathly Hallows. He could have had an acting career. And I keep thinking to myself, well, if Rob was alive now, he could be married. He could have kids. He could have. He he will never know what it's like to find a grey hair or, you know, little things that happen to you and you get slightly older and he will never experience that he'll always be 18 for me and in a way that's what we you know every year that passes it's quite sad because you know it's one more year without rob and uh we don't want especially rob's family we don't want anyone else to go through that and as soon as you read the news about someone who's been killed someone who has been involved in a gun or knife attack and the first thing i think is oh god they're about to start a journey that they will have to live with for the rest of their lives, knowing that that person, their loved one, that they were, you know, on a journey with, will never be around. Colin, Colin in particular, makes a point of saying that 
he should never have had to have buried Rob. Rob should have buried him. That's the natural order of things. And it's unfortunately it's true. It's one of those things where it's it's not the right way to do things. It's not how life should be. And there are people out there who are lost and confused and who have fallen through the cracks of society who feel you know, they haven't got proper you know uh they haven't got proper home life, you know. I'm not saying that you know having single parents and things like that is a bad thing, but sometimes I think kids need a male role model because if they don't have anyone to look look up to, you know, um how to be a man, how to be a woman, that kind of thing. And if things aren't going well, then I think that personally they will eventually find or be drawn to people who are in the same boat who won't necessarily help each other but will have a shared trauma of well this is just how life is so let's just live it this way you know i'm going to carry a knife i'm going to carry a gun i i honestly don't think that that mentality is helpful and i don't think that when people comment on you know the death of someone going well i think it's you know violent video games and it's like well that's complete nonsense because a lot of these kids come from broken homes come from homes that don't really have that much money a lot of areas of poverty they couldn't afford an xbox they couldn't afford a you know a whatever it's not violent video games at all um which i think is complete nonsense i think it's the people you know there isn't a particular person to blame here i think it's a very collective thing a very collective blame whether it be a government whether it be a family, whether it be just humans in general not looking after each other. That's the most important thing. You know, we can sit around here and point fingers and blame people. I mean, a lot of people in the UK tend to blame um, foreigners. They tend to blame... There is a mentality of people who have this poisoned mind where they think people come from other countries and cause havoc and whatever, and that's just not true. You know, if you if anyone wants to point the finger at people then they have to point them at themselves because we shouldn't be blaming anyone we should be helping people especially in lockdown with the pandemic now we should be spending more time with our families making sure they're loved making sure they're nurtured doesn't matter what kind of family they are you know i think you know even just watching the harry potter movies that that's you know there are so many values you can get from that there are so many things you can learn just from harry's story in general i think from Harry staying with the Dursleys, um, you know, and living in that toxic environment and, you know, you can blame that on a Horcrux or whatever, but what it is, if you take the fantasy element away from that, you are looking at a broken family and, um, but Rob, uh, sorry, but Harry finds, you know, a family at Hogwarts. And I think that's, you know, if we've all come from a, a background of somewhere where we need a bit more love and a bit more, you know, care, then Harry finds that at Hogwarts. He finds Hermione. He finds like a new family in general. And, you know, it's it's kind of that, you know, friendship that makes Harry who he is, you know, fulfilling his destiny as someone, not as someone who was living under the stairs and being essentially bullied. You know, that's, <laughs> you want to take that one step, you know, further. That's domestic abuse in my opinion. But, um, but you know, he does find happiness and he does find his way, but he does that through love and affection of a community they just so happen to be wizards and witches but you know that's kind of what we need to do as well we need to act you know as a global community 
we need to act as you know one big family that supports all our young and you know all those who are in need and not just young there are people who are you know my age or older who um who are struggling with life still you know whether it's drug addiction etc you know knife crime and they just need someone to tell them it's going to be all right you know they need a hogwarts essentially they need a community where you know someone can say well life's bad but everything's going to be fine and i think that's what our documentary is trying to highlight is we're not trying to blame anyone we're just trying to make people aware that this is going on and something has to be done about it wow this was such an honor no the honor is mine thank you so much for talking to me <laughs> this was so powerful um the world really needs a hogwarts and the world really needs a documentary with that kind of message especially now and Thank you so much for taking part in creating this for us. No, thank you. I, I, I've been extremely lucky and privileged to to not only make this documentary with, you know, Rob's friends and family, but also to be sharing it with you guys and to almost pass it on, really, because it's it, it's not really my story to tell. It kind of tells itself. But if I was to, you know, have any hopes or wishes for this film, it's just that. Just pass it on. Spread it on. Get it out there make their you know we still have to find that audience for this documentary and convince the people in suits to put this on tvs around the world so if anything will make that happen i'm sure it would be the harry potter community definitely well i can't wait to see it i can't wait either fantastic thank you so much for having me and uh yeah uh all our love from london to america i hope you guys are okay and uh, coping well just stay safe thank you thank you thank you so much <laughs>